Welcome to the Friday subscribers-only edition of the Hub Dialogues, the podcast of the Hub, Canada's leading source for insight and analysis into the big issues and ideas driving the public conversation. On these special Friday-only broadcasts, we're going to be convening Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, and Stuart Thompson, our editor-in-chief, for a conversation with me, Rudyard Griffiths, about the big stories and issues that have animated the public conversation over the last seven days. Our goal is to leave you with some new analysis and insights, and hopefully some new perspectives on the big issues of our time. So pull up a chair right now and join Sean Spear, Stuart Thompson, and myself for the Friday subscriber-only edition of the Hub Dialogues. Sean, Stuart, great to be in conversation with you this week. Hey, great to be here. Great to connect as always, guys. Now, Stuart, where's the big suntan, buddy? You've been off for two weeks, <laughs> and I'm still seeing that Scottish pallor on yeah. your face. So what's happened here? Like, no doc time? Were you? <laughs> yeah, no, I got to the cottage, and then I realized... I hate the cottage. I hate just sitting around. I get too restless. <laughs> so, I mean, it was great. It was a good five days, but, uh, you know, maybe I should do something more interesting next time. Well, you're an avid runner. So like, did you have a road that you could get on or, I mean, that must, that would really drive you crazy, right? Yeah, no, I didn't really have a place to go. And it was, it was like four or five days of, you know, less optimal conditions for me. I shouldn't get on a podcast and complain about going to a cottage for five days, but <laughs> I guess that's where we are. <laughs> okay, well, we're glad uh, glad to have you back um, on the pod here and taking over the reins from uh, Luke Smith. Uh, Sean, who did an awesome job as our uh, deputy editor this week. Yeah, we missed Stuart, of course, um, but uh, I think the content at the Hub this week from some really tremendous podcasts uh, on the state of Canadian jurisprudence to uh, the state of populism around the world, and of course, Howard Anglin's uh, essay about uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, which he, I think he described as nuttier than a, a, a squirrel's turd, um, <laughs> Uh, was 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 pretty good stuff. So kudos to Luke for for taking on the reins uh, for the past couple of weeks. Right. Well, guys, here's where I want to start this week's pod. Like what we'd like to try to do on this program is go a little bit bigger picture, um, try to wrap up the week that was. And I was just sitting here uh, having my coffee on Friday morning and thinking about this has been a pretty crazy seven or so days. In fact, it's been a pretty crazy summer. You know, normally summers are a kind of dead time. The dog days of summer, we know the expression, but I want to get both your reactions to the following. Put together these events, airports in chaos, passport offices seemingly unable to function, people sleeping on the streets of major Canadian cities for days to get their passports renewed, a really urgent, and now it looks like possibly tragic emergency room crisis in Canada with a reported death of an individual uh, who was seemingly unable to get timely treatment uh, in an East Coast ER, a widespread blackout of our major telecommunications provider, Rogers, that was so severe it endangered 911 facilities, and then most recently, a 1% hike by our central bank, uh, an explicit acknowledgement 
that they had gotten the inflation threat wrong and now are playing a dangerous game of catch up that has every sign of forcing the country into a recession. Stuart, you put all this together and you kind of wonder what the heck is going on? Is this like a reverberation of COVID, a spill out of, you know, uh, the shock that COVID rendered to the country? Or is this something, something deeper? I don't know, some set of stress fractures that are starting to run through our society that I think politically are really unsettling people. Yeah. And one of the things I keep remembering is the comedian Aziz Ansari had this Netflix, it's a short little special, about 20 minutes. And it was a while ago, but he talked about this weird sensation of, you know, you walk into a McDonald's or a Burger King or a coffee shop, and there's clearly not enough people there. And it's a little more chaotic than you're used to. And you know, you're going to be waiting a little longer. Everyone's more stressed out, the customers, the people behind the counter. Um, And that was kind of a labor shortage problem. But it's kind of seeping into the rest of our lives right now. I was kind of, you know, smugly um, happy about my decision to stay in Ontario for my little summer holiday. And then on Friday, I woke up and like my phone didn't work. And it's just one of those things that, you know, it's just a strange thing. I went into the town nearby and debit machines were down everywhere. And there was that same kind of twitchy eyed feeling among everyone in the stores. Um, it's not a good feeling. And this was like cottage country where people are at their most relaxed, you would think. Um, so I think it is concerning and the political ramifications, I think, are widespread because people don't, um, you know, the the causes of this, I think, are so varied. Um, people aren't kind of sorting through the the cause and effect here. They're looking at their leaders and saying, you're in charge, this should be fixed. Um, and I think, you know, whether you're a premier or whether you're a prime minister, or I think even just politicians in general, anyone sort of involved in, you know, any kind of incumbency should be worried right now. Sean, what's, uh, what's your take? Is this, is this a kind of a blip, um, you know, a moment of stress brought about by skyrocketing inflation, the reverberations of COVID. And each of those examples I gave, you know, you could find a situational answer to explain the outcome. I guess it's just, you put it all together and it starts to feel like it's getting some critical mass, like that there's a, a destabilization of the country on a whole variety of levels that that understandably, I think, causes anxiety, it causes frustration, it causes, a, a, my perspective, a sense that somehow things are, are kind of out of control. Um, am I wrong? No, I, I think there's something to that. Um, I'd put two ideas on the table. The, the first is something that we've published essays about at the Hub over the past several months, which is the idea of state capacity. You know, that is to say, a lot of our debates these days are about the size of government, but we don't spend enough time thinking about the the basic capacities of government. Here we have a government in Ottawa that wants to catalyze an energy transition um, and is struggling to deal with basic functions like um, issuing passports on on a timely basis. And so, you know, I think going forward, one of the conversations we need to have, including amongst conservatives, is less about you know, the optimal size of government and more about the country's basic state capacity, which I think has um, proven to be much weaker than many of us have thought over the past 24 months. But the second point I'd raise just quickly is one of, of leadership. Um, 
You mentioned uh, you know, the admission of failure at the Bank of Canada. This week, Ontario's chief medical officer put on the table that we ought to be, as individuals, thinking about the trade-offs between getting vaccinated and the risks of vaccination if you're a healthy 18-year-old, which is just fundamentally different message than we've been hearing from our public health leaders for the past 24 months. I think if you were like me, you thought, wait a second, where's that message suddenly coming from? And it, it speaks to a, a kind of leadership crisis I think we have in our country and all of our major institutions. Um, too many people governing by polls, governing by focus groups, um, speaking in talking points as opposed to leading. And um, we've talked about this at nauseum on this podcast and on the pages of the hub, but um, the, I guess in, in some, the set of conditions and circumstances that you describe, uh, Rudyard and Stewart, seem to me a kind of perfect kindling for a, a political firestorm um, that um, if I was an incumbent politician at the national level or the provincial level, I'd be very worried about. Yeah, just to build on that, I, I think another way to look at this, to try to think, okay, what is the commonality between all these features and facets is, I would make an argument that what we're seeing right now is 20th century infrastructure and processes inside and outside government running, you know, straight into the wall of complexity that is the 21st century. And that in an interesting way in Canada, we've, we have become incredibly complacent, uh, I think, through the last decade or more, just about the challenge of that transition, of transitioning infrastructure that was built for a very different world to deal with the world that we're in now. And you can look at that through the lens of telecommunications and the Rogers crisis. You can look at that through vaccine rollouts. You can look at that through inflation and interest policy. I think it's a, for me, it's a helpful kind of conceptual way to think about the challenge. And then I would challenge you, Stuart, you know, the solution. I think the solution in an interesting way kind of could be the second message to let's say the gatekeeper narrative because the gatekeeper identifies the problem it doesn't and it, it hints at a solution but it's more explicit pierre polyev's notion of blaming gatekeepers the solution i think has to be po politicians and political parties that are willing to lead the public in a in a in a campaign of of a kind of tougher more honest conversation about the need for the rewiring of our infrastructure and processes so they are able to confront these multifactorial, highly complex, interdependent realities of the 21st century, whether it's a virus, whether it's getting data from the Rogers cell tower to your phone to the 911 number, you know, whether it's, you know, figuring out how to run an economy in a supply constrained world. So, I guess the question to you, Stuart, is, you know, from a political perspective, where are we seeing answers? Like, I, I get enough of the kind of teardown and the rant and the anger. What I want are some answers to a bigger question. Healthcare is another one. Like, we're running classic example, at an archaic 20th century model to deal with 21st century realities of an aging population. The result, we're shutting down ER rooms and diverting people dangerous distances to seek treatment in other facilities. Like, I feel like we're, we played the string out. Like we are at the end of the string on a lot of these things. 
And, and I just feel, Stuart, like I'm not hearing much in the way of an honest conversation about the disruption that we need to find solutions, to rewire, to become robust, to be able to confront the challenge of the 21st century. Yeah, I was... Um... I think that's exactly right. And there's no better symbol of it right now than you can tell people in Ottawa are, are bored right now because the early election chatter is starting, which happens every summer around this time. Mm -hmm. um, but it made me think, actually, that can you imagine if Justin Trudeau were to call an election in the fall, win another slim minority, and then win what is, I mean, it's ostensibly a historic fourth term. Um, but could there be a more diminished fourth term than that, starting from the 2015, the grand majority and the sunny ways, and then everything just kind of getting crappier and crappier every year that passed? Um, <laughs> I think that really is, that would be such a symbol of our times if that were to happen. And um, I, when you, and I was thinking also of, you know, Milton Friedman's idea that he was responding to economists saying that government should only respond when there's market failure. Um, Friedman would often point out that, you know, we forget to talk about government failure in response to these things. And when you're talking about the increasing complexity of our world, those government failures get bigger and bigger. And um, I think this is when you're looking at the, the liberal government's attempt to regulate the internet, the, the wide variety of government failures that could arise from that are, are almost infinite. Um, so I think this is something that we need to grapple with. And the response to the more complex world might be not that we get bigger and bigger and try to grapple with it, but that, you know, we find other solutions to it, maybe from the private sector. This is such a great conversation. Let me take up um, comments from both of you. Uh, Rudyard talked about um, our, 21st, our 20th century infrastructure and processes. And, and you talked, uh, Stuart, about the, comp the, the difficulty of of managing 21st century complexity. I would just say one of the, the, the biggest political opportunities here, it seems to me, is that the public is ahead of the political and bureaucratic class on a lot of these issues. I mean, think about how, how decentralized and individualistic um, modern technology has made our lives. Um, you know, juxtapose that. Uh, you know, juxtapose our ability to use, listen to any song we want at any time or pay a bill through an app, you know, uh, by the click of a finger or sometimes just our, our facial recognition compared to standing in line to get a, a passport, uh, you know, and requiring that you be physically present. It's just, it seems to me that uh, the public has been socialized to expect, you know, in, in time, highly individualistic and customized services in this new digital economy. Um, and so when governments are, are doing things like proposing to regulate YouTube, I think a lot of people are thinking like, what era are you from? Um, and so, you know, I, I can't help but think that this whole experience uh, uh, has crystallized in the minds of uh, a new and emerging generation, the limits of government better than any um, think tank report or uh, you know rhetorical flourishes from Pierre Polyev or or other um, politicians could could ever do. Uh, one can't help but think that this whole experience will produce a, a kind of generation that um, uh, that you know has a, a kind of libertarian instinct. You know, that's super smart because in a sense we've always had that that 
you know, competition between the, the, you know, the customer and the client model of the capitalist consumer experience versus government, but it's never been as a sharp relief as it is right now. So further your point, Sean, I think that is a genuinely original, important insight. We're living for a moment where the compare and contrast has become super explicit. And my contribution to that would just, I mean, look at telecommunications in this country, okay? It was one thing to have the highest costs in the advanced economies of the world in terms of data transfer and voice to assume that through those high costs, you had redundancy, resiliency, regulation, all kinds of wraparounds that would justify that. But in a typical Canadian fashion, what does the Rogers debacle show? We have the worst of both worlds. You know, South Korea, Japan, the United States, there has never been a disruption of the type that Canadians experienced in the last week, in the last number of decades, really since the telecommunications, digital wireless industries began in those countries. Yet they have competition. They allow foreign incumbents, heaven forbid, foreign companies, telecommunications companies to operate within their uh, national borders. So come on, guys, like maybe this is the time, I hope, Sean, where the compare and the contrast becomes so severe, so black and white, that there's finally a constituency that a more courageous political class and leader can start to sell to, which is to say, let's join the 21st century. Okay, let's have competition. You know, don't get me started on banking. It's the same thing. Why do we have, you know, slow rates of productivity and small, uh, crappy uh, uh, corporate form uh, formation at uh, SMEs, small, medium-sized enterprises? Because it's easier when you're running an oligopoly just to lend to your big clients and forego the risk of actually trying to start new Canadian businesses on the path to success, productivity, and job creation. Stuart, you know, is this, I mean, we don't want to get put the rose-colored glasses on, but is this potentially a watershed here? You know, post-COVID kind of splash of something very cold and frosty across the face that slaps the country into the 21st century and a reality that doing the same thing over and over again, Einstein's definition of insanity just isn't going to work anymore. Yeah, I, it almost struck me as sort of the moment of optimism on Friday morning last week when my phone was dead and it was such a bad outage. It was going on for hours and hours that I thought something really serious has happened. This could be like a cyber attack or some catastrophic thing had happened. Um, and then later in the day, you find out they just screwed up when they were updating their servers or something. And it's like, can that really like grind our entire country to a halt? Just that happening? And it's kind of depressing, actually. Um, so I... I kind of go both ways on this. One is that, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I was kind of hoping for that kind of explosion of optimism and people, I, I kind of have it a bit every time I get outside and I go for a run or I go to a patio where I'm just really happy to be out there. And every time I hang out with my family, I'm really valuing that experience, but we haven't really seen it on the other side yet. And I think probably there's a a transition. I mean, we still have waves of COVID coming at us. Um, we're still struggling out of a lot of the problems it created. And I'm still hoping that we can kind of harness the energy that has been building up. And maybe we um, 
take that and maybe we take some of the lessons we've learned. And, you know, I'm kind of feeling it on the tail end of a vacation here where you come back and you're just ready to kick ass. And I hope that as a country, we can get some of that, right? Um, maybe that's optimistic. And there really is kind of a political malaise that is really concerning to me that I don't see a real way out of. Um, but, you know, I think we have to be optimistic about this. Can I just so make- Sean, Sean, kick ass in a can. I like it. It's, <laughs> it's better than a buck of beer. And maybe it actually does something. Kick ass in a can. That's that's going to be the hub's new slogan. <laughs> if I can just make a big picture point about uh, conservatism, you know, that part of what we try to do at the hub is both um, shine light for a, a kind of broader audience on what's happening in the world of conservatism. And also within the world of conservatism, try to catalyze um, intro debate about, um, you know, the emphasis of different principles and how they apply, et cetera. Um, we're going to bring to listeners in the next couple of weeks a really great episode of Hub Dialogues uh, with the young letters editor at the Wall Street Journal, Elliot Kaufman. And um, part of that conversation, guys, is about what's going on in the world of conservative tensions between a kind of conventional Reaganism versus the so-called new right, which wants to move on past free markets and limited government and focus on, you know, legislating against um uh, uh, you know, issues of culture and identity and so on. And, and one of the points that Kaufman makes is that the set of circumstances that we're presently facing, inflation, stagflation, um, you, you know, uh, d- dishonor abroad, um, uh, you know, just a kind of sense of social and cultural defeatism that we've been talking about this morning, it cries out for many of the same ideas and impulses um, that we saw in the late 1970s and early 1980s. So contrary to the idea that Reaganism is something of a zombie-like set of uh, impulses and ideas, it it may be precisely the the kind of right um, set of prescriptions to deal um, with uh, the the current set of economic and social and geopolitical issues um, before us. Awesome. Uh, let's take a quick break, guys. When back on the other side, we're going to go to the stampede, at least virtually, and talk about uh, the weekend conservative politics and national politics there because, hey, everyone was at the stampede and there was some fun elbows thrown, eyes poked. Howard England, our uh, prized uh, contributor to the hub in the middle of it all, we'll bring that to you right after this break. Rudyard Griffiths here, the executive director of The Hub. Thank you for listening to this, our Friday subscriber-only podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and what The Hub is all about, providing insightful analysis and insights into the big issues and ideas facing Canada, all from a 100% Canadian perspective, please consider becoming a donor. You can do that right now at www.thehub.ca. Simply click on the button, donate, We'll send you a charitable tax receipt and a whole bunch of great benefits that come with being a hub donor. Again, you can do that right now at www.thehub.ca. Thank you in advance for your generous contribution. Now back to our program. Hello, Hub subscribers and listeners. You are back here for our weekly roundtable with Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, Stuart Thompson, our editor-at-chief. Stuart, uh, Calgary Stampede, uh, it's always a time for, uh, you know, uh, a kind of political uh, stampede of itself, uh, leaders of parties across uh, country, you know, pouring into Calgary to press the flesh. Let's start with your impressions 
about the conservative leadership race and how it played out uh, this week in uh, Stampede Country. Any uh, tell signs that that you're seeing out of how the different campaigns position themselves? Yeah, I think we got a taste of my favorite decision in Canadian politics, which is when a politician has to make the um, decision of whether wearing stampede gear is too embarrassing to do or not to do. And I like to put myself in those shoes because I think probably I would have to defer on the stampede gear because it just wouldn't work. Um, but Jean Charest had to wear his suit to the stampede. Um, that's always, you know, that's probably a hard pill to swallow as a politician. Um, but I think we saw what we had suspected all along, which is that Pierre Polyev is wildly popular. And, you know, I was... I was so bored at the cottage last week that I did a panel show on CBC on Friday and they were asking me, what is the, what is the divide that will happen in the conservative party if Pierre Polyev is leader? And I said, I don't think there is a divide because like two thirds of the party supports him and he's probably going to win on the first ballot. That's like unity if you could ever see it. Right. Um, and I think that's probably what we saw at the stampede was People are really excited about Pierre Polyev, um, and it was always going to be a really steep climb for Jean Charest. What was your take, uh, Sean? We also should mention Jeff Russ's uh, piece for us today in the Hub, uh, Friday, uh, July 15th, a great write-up on just this question. Is there a divide potentially in the party? I've got to say, looking at Stampede and even just being Stampede, um, you know, if the Sheree campaign is somehow emblematic of, uh, you know, a red Tory rump that's ready to take a big bite out of, you know, caucus and the conservative consensus, uh, you know, it's looking like a chihuahua right, uh, right now, guys, <laughs> not a not a pit bull. Am I wrong? <laughs> I, I think that's right. Um, when Patrick Brown left the race this week, his outgoing uh, chairman of his campaign, John Reynolds, issued a statement in which he endorsed Jean Charest as a unity candidate. Um, but as Stuart says, if you look at polls, if you look at endorsements of caucus, if you look at number of memberships sold, uh, Pierre Polyev is self-evidently the unity candidate within conservative politics. In fact, in the terrific piece we published today by our new journalist fellow, Jeff Russ, uh, he cites a couple of uh, academics and other experts uh, who describe Polyev as the most unifying candidate uh, to lead the Conservative Party since Stephen Harper. Um, I think the important caveat, of course, is that's amongst conservatives. The question for Pierre, and this has been the case really since this race started, is whether he can um, build beyond uh, the conservative base, which um, you know is a necessary but insufficient um, ingredient to ultimately becoming prime minister. I'll turn it to you in one second, um, Rudyard, but one proof point of Pierre's popularity was the efforts on the part of the United Conservative Party leadership candidates in Alberta, who of course are going through their own parallel leadership race to try to tie their sails to Pierre. If, if people were following on social media, all of the major candidates sought to get their picture taken uh, with Pierre because um, the perception that he's popular amongst their own supporters. So um, maybe put it to you, I'd be interested, uh, Rudyard, in your thoughts, both on the, maybe on the C CPC race, but also on what we're seeing in the race to succeed Jason Kenney. That one's important, of course, because it's not just to be the leader of the party, it's to become the premier of the province uh, when the Alberta legislature returns um, come September. Yeah, well, let me play uh, hot potato here and uh, bring Stuart in because 
I love Stuart, your take on Howard England's piece, which, you know, talking about um, hot potatoes, hand grenades was a, a nice little law by Howard into the, uh, the uh, UPC race. Uh, Daniel Smith uh, kind of on the record having to respond uh, to Howard's uh, takedown. I thought very masterful takedown. You can get it on our, our website this week of this, uh, you know, Howard's view, uh, batty, insane, nutty. What was the, there's a squirrel turd in there somewhere. Uh, idea of a separation of uh, Alberta and federal legal powers and jurisdiction. Yeah, actually, it was it was making me reminisce a little bit because I was, you know, actually about almost 11 years ago to the day, I was a reporter in White Court, Alberta, and I interviewed Danielle Smith. And I actually, in classic community newspaper fashion, we would go to press on the Monday, and it was like a Friday or a Saturday, and I was screwed. I had no content. So Danielle Smith came to town, and I said, let me just travel around with you for two days, and we'll see how this goes. And it was really interesting. And she was the Wild Rose leader at the time. She was a serious person. And I put every issue I could think of in Alberta politics to her and got pretty good answers. And that was, you know, that was a time when it was Alison Redford versus Danielle Smith. And it was like a really fierce political battle in Alberta. Um, you know, Danielle Smith said at that time she was trying to be more of a mainstream figure. And that's why she crossed to the floor with the PCs. Um, and now things have really changed. And I don't know, you know, the way that I would put this UCP leadership is that we have serious candidates and that we have unserious candidates. And maybe that's a little too glib, but I actually think it's a pretty good explanation of what we're dealing with here. Um, we have, um, you know, the, the way that the way that I look at Danielle Smith is I'm not sure if she's doing some kind of political maneuver um, to sort of capture the energy that brought down Jason Kenney, or if this is something that she's kind of taken a turn um, and some of the more extreme things that Howard talked about in his piece. But Howard's piece is just about that one thing. There's more on the pandemic that I think she's really offside on. Um, so I'm not sure if this is just a political play or not. Um, I'm really curious how this goes. On that point, um, this past week, I've thought a bit about Daniel Smith, who um, you know, by all accounts, is uh, a, a, a possible front runner um, to take over the UCP. There's a lot of energy at her events. Apparently, membership sales are going well. And the person I've thought about uh, in, re in regards to her is J.D. Vance, um, the Ohio Republican Senate candidate, um, who has gone through something of a transformation from being a pretty conventional conservative politician to now being, you know, a kind of Trumpian firebrand. And there's been a lot of debate in the U.S. about whether, as you say, Stuart, um, this transformation of Vance is an act um, or if it represents a kind of sincere radicalization um, caused, you know, by various factors, including um, the shift to the left of the of the Democratic Party. And I, I can't help but wonder what's happened to Daniel Smith. This is someone, as you say, um, you know, worked at the Fraser Institute, um, you know, spoke about uh, trying to be a, a mainstream candidate, bring the wild rose to the kind of mainstream of of Alberta politics. And I think this weekend now is doing an event with Theo Fleury, the former NHL hockey player who spends most of his time online um, decrying the World Economic Forum's control over our politics. Um, 
if this is an insincere transformation on the part of, of Daniel Smith, man, uh, she must really place a high premium on the prize of being the next Alberta premier, because it, it would be hard to kind of live with that sort of cognitive dissonance. Um, what, what's, what's your sense, uh, Rudyard? Uh, I hear I like to defer to Stuart just because you were Stuart, um, a journalist uh, for some time at uh, at the Edmonton Journal. So you've got a feel for Alberta politics that that I don't. And I think it's one of the strengths that you uh, you bring to the hub, your your time reporting out west. I mean, I guess my question to build on, on Sean's analysis there is we are seeing um, even, you know, within the conservative leadership race federally at this moment. Um, you know, the energy, the excitement, uh, the passion is increasingly, well, let's put it politely, amongst these some pretty fringe elements. And I just wonder if, if you think, Stuart, this is some broader shift in the public culture that of Alberta and, and conservatives in that province that politicians are catching up to, or are they... Are they kind of ginning up the crowd, so to speak? Because that's, I guess, my confusion with about Daniel Smith is like, is this, as Sean said, uh, you know, some weird Faustian bargain she's entered into here to to kind of hang with Theo Fleury and talk up the benefits of, uh, uh, you know, uncontroversial COVID treatments like um, intervenmectin, the the parasite pill for horses uh you know is that the price of entry now uh to tap real political energy power money and organization in alberta politics yeah i think this is probably like the key question for conserve for um politicians on the right maybe on the left too but i think it's really it's a key focus if you're on the right is um if you're pierre polyev are you reflecting what's happening among people and giving expression to it. Um, I think the same thing happened with Jason Kenney when he first became Premier of Alberta, where there was sort of this movement of sovereignty for some people, but mainly just discontent with Ottawa. And they were choosing to um, express some of that politically via some of their policies. Um, I think there's a responsible way to do this, and there is an irresponsible way to do this. And I, I think with Polyev, he has flirted with both. I think that he is mainly being quite responsible, um, but he has crossed the line a couple of times. And that's kind of his nature, actually. I think through his career, he's always wanted to just put his toe over the line and see how people react. Um, this is something different, though. This is what Danielle Smith is doing is wholly different. Um, doing events with Theo Fleury, I think, is, you know, that's that that's something that's just completely irresponsible. Um, fueling these conspiracy theories, I think is irresponsible. Um, and I think, you know, there was something the liberals did when they were a third party and they were kind of on the fringe was they threw some ideas out there. Electoral reform is probably the most famous one where they said, we'll do this. Um, and then we'll worry about the details later. And I think that's something you do when you're kind of on the outs is you throw ideas out there. And then if they catch, you say, we'll worry about that later. Um, that was a less irresponsible version of that. And I think these candidates really need to be careful about what they're doing because um, I, I think there is people who have gone completely down rabbit holes. And I actually, having interviewed Jason Kenney, that's something that he's extremely concerned about. He was concerned about it because it cost him his job, 
but I think he's genuinely concerned about it in terms of how it affects our politics. It sort of comes back to our original conversation, doesn't it? That we're in a moment um, for various reasons uh, of outsiderism. And so now you have a number of insiders like Pierre Polyev, who spent most of his uh, adult life in politics, or Daniel Smith, who's been a, a party leader before, a kind of mainstream figure in the world of, of conservatism more generally, uh, uh, struggling to present themselves as outsiders. And, you know, it seems to me like anything in life, um, the, the temptation to kind of overcorrect uh, for one's uh, insiderism um, risks pushing some of these political figures uh, further than they ought to go, or even maybe ultimately want to go. Um, and so, you know, no doubt we'll be covering the UCP race uh, over the, the coming weeks. Um, but I think it's fair to say, should Daniel Smith become the leader and in turn the premier, um, it will be moving in the part, the moving the party uh, in a, a different direction than under Jason Kenney's leadership. And I'll just mention this point. <laughs> For all of the criticism of Kenney from the left that he was um, too often trying to kind of placate these more extreme uh, voices or perspectives within the UCP. Well, let me just say, you haven't seen nothing yet. Um, you know, you may very well be um, ultimately regretting um, uh, and almost missing uh, uh, Jason Kenney um, uh, should, should Smith win the leadership. Right. What's that famous quip? Après moi, le déluge. So you, you never know what comes next guys we're gonna uh, leave it there uh terrific round table enjoy the rest of your weekend uh hub listeners you'll get our roundup this weekend of the very best of the hub we'll be sure to feature uh howard's piece that we've talked about today in that roundup and we'll also have jeff russ's our uh, new journalism fellow writing for us regularly on national affairs uh he'll will have his story in that roundup for you too so you can dig deeper into this uh, we think at the hub somewhat phony debate about whether the conservative party is facing a crisis of unity thanks again for your time and attention we'll do this all again next friday bye-bye thank you for listening to this special friday edition of the hub dialogues for subscribers only i hope you've enjoyed the program if you have a comment or suggestion about the show, an issue, a topic, an idea that you'd like us to cover on our regular Friday subscriber-only Hub Dialogues, please send us an email to info at thehub.ca. Also, check out our website, www.thehub.ca, for tons of great analysis and insights about the big issues and ideas shaping our world and Canada's future. While you're there... If you'd like to, consider becoming a donor. We'd love to have your support. Simply click on the Donate button. We'll send you a charitable tax receipt, and you'll get a whole series of great benefits and perks that come with being a Hub donor. This edition and every edition of the Friday subscriber-only Hub Dialogues are produced by Ricky Gerwitz. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of the Hub. Talk to you again next Friday. Bye-bye.